Psalm 37 is the subject of today's message. Here's a psalm that I learned very early in my Christian years. And over the years, from time to time, I come to this psalm just to refresh myself for step-by-step -step procedure that David writes about trusting the Lord, things to do or not to do while you're trusting the Lord. Recently, I was uh, hearing the Bible. I went through the psalms again. This is the second time this year around. And as I came to Psalm 37, I remembered what I learned in this psalm in early years. And I kind of made a mental note, you know, just to come back to this psalm again. And I did. And there's more things that I saw and understood from this psalm than I've seen before. So and that's what I'm going to share with you today. Psalm 37 begins by saying, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. Do not fret. The word fret uh, means to worry, to have some anxiety. I looked up the dictionary to see what the definition is from the dictionary. It says, to be constantly or visibly worried or anxious. This is uh, when somebody is fret fretting, uh, you know, it's visible. You can see it from their, you know, maybe body language or facial uh, movements and demeanor or whatnot. Maybe in their voice, it just literally says it's visible. It's just oozing out of your body when somebody's uh, so uh, anxious and, and worried. These are the different words that the dictionary uses to be worried, to be anxious, feel uneasy, to be distressed, be upset, a state, state of anxiety and worry. All of that uh, in combination is what the word fret means. So the psalm begins by saying, do not fret. All of the psalm in, in, in this psalm, um, uh, it speaks about uh, the believer, he uses different pronouns like the upright, the righteous, the good man, and so on. But he talks about the believer. And he also talks about the wicked or the evildoer or unbeliever or whatnot. But today I'm going to just concentrate on what it says about the upright or the believer. Mainly because uh, we know from the Bible the fate of all the unbelievers or the evildoers. The end is destruction as always the Bible says. So uh, I, I will read some of them, but you know, I, I'm going to skip uh, most of uh, when he talks about the, uh, uh, the wicked. So beginning with uh, first verse again, do not fret because of the evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut, cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. From verse 3, um, this psalm gives the instructions uh, as you, the believer approaches to, tr to trust the Lord. And this is the first uh, point or the first instruction he says. Uh, verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land, and feed on his faithfulness. The word trust, you know, I've said it so many times in this church. In the Old Testament, the word trust... Uh, uh, is two pictorial words, uh, one of them, and they're both action words. First one is when uh, you run for a cover or shelter, that action of running towards the 
cover is what it means to trust the Lord in this uh, sentence or in this word. <clears throat> the clear picture is when the little chicks, they run under, towards the mother hen to be covered under her wings, that motion of running as they run towards the mother hen is what the word trust means. Second one is also similar. Uh, when somebody leans on a staff, uh, you know, you trust that that, that staff will not break. Uh, uh, so that action of leaning on the staff is what the word uh, trust means. Um, in the Old Testament times, I don't know when they translated uh, uh, the Hebrew Old Testament to the Greek language, which they called it Septuagint. Um, the translators back then also used the word faith in the, what they used in the New Testament instead of these words, uh, word trust. So the Septuagint translation of the Greek, of the Hebrew of this word, is the same faith is used in the New Testament, which again, as you've heard it many times, in Greek it's a verb, it's not a noun. Faith is, again, it's an action, you do something with your faith, and so on. So these are the two words uh, in the Old Testament translated, trust the Lord, and do good, dwell in the land, and feed on his faithfulness. Uh, the land he's talking about is the promised land, you know, especially during the um, time of David. This is the Psalm of David. The boundary of the promised land was set exactly as God had in mind when he brought his people uh, into the promised land by the leadership of Joshua. Up to that point, um, uh, before David, they couldn't conquer all of them, but David conquered and set the boundary. And if you um, go through the book of Joshua, you know, God gives a meticulous detail of the boundary, you know, from this point to that point, from this city or that, you know, it is an exact boundary written in the Bible. At, from one side, from the east, north, and south, and the, on the west is the Mediterranean Sea. The equivalent uh, word or understanding of what he says here, dwell in the land, within the boundary, you know, which is a, were already said during the time of David, equivalent understanding of it in the New Testament is what the Jesus our Lord said. In Gospel of John, he says, Abide in me. Without abiding in me, you cannot do anything. That means for them in the Old Testament was being in the land, in the boundary of the Old Testament promised land, which was the land of Canaan. For us as believers is abiding in Christ. So the first instruction that he says, he says, trust the Lord and do good, dwell in the land, abide in Christ, in our own understanding of the New Testament, and then feed on his faithfulness. You know, the only way I understand uh, from the, these verses and the Bible to feed on his faithfulness is just to, to devour his word. Our Lord Jesus is the word. He is the faithful one. As you eat or devour the word or uh, receive it, you're feeding yourself with his faithfulness, and that's the only way I understand it, what this means, feeding on the Lord's faithfulness. Now, the thing is, the unfortunate part of uh, believers in Christ, I would say the majority of them, they don't read the Bible, they don't meditate upon the, uh, the word uh, of the Bible, 
most of the times what they know from the Bible is what they hear, you know, in the church. In the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which is known as the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus told the parable of the sower, which is almost identical in three uh, uh, Gospels. But meaning of it when he uh, uh, explained to his disciples is categorically very different. Um, on the surface, all three uh, parables in the Gospel just sounds the same. But I'm going to start with the Bible and um, Gospel of Matthew. Uh, if you remember the parable of the sower, he says the sower went out to uh, scatter the seed. Some fell in the rocky, uh, on the roadsides, rocky places, uh, among the thorns, and among the good soil. When he, he explained it to his disciples, he said, the seed, this is the Gospel of Matthew. He says the seed is the word of the kingdom. Not just the word, but the word of the kingdom. And the first category of people, he says, when they hear the word of the kingdom and they do not understand, Satan comes immediately and takes that away. Second category, he says, they receive it when the persecution begins for the word of the kingdom. You know, they fall away. The third category, uh, they receive it with joy, but then cares of this world and wanting other things in life comes in and chokes the word of the kingdom. But there's also the fourth category, that it's a good soil. These are different category of people. Good soil that they produce uh, 30%, some 60%, some 100% harvest at the end. In the Gospel of Matthew's version, these are believers. And believers who hear the word of the kingdom. Naturally, the first category, uh, you know, they don't understand it. so. Uh, you know, uh, Satan comes, whatever they hear, it takes them away. He says immediately he comes. Same thing happens, uh, you know, explanation in Gospel of uh, Mark. But in Mark he says, the seed is the word. He doesn't say it's the word of the kingdom. It's general, the word of the, uh, God's word, that means the Bible. So in Matthew, we're uh, speaking about the believers that hear the gospel of the, uh, not the gospel, but the word of the kingdom. In uh, Mark's gospel, it's the same believers that hear the word. They have the same reactions, you know, uh, don't understand it, they, they fall away, all the way to the, those who do, bring the harvest. In Luke's gospel, however, this is what the Lord said. The seed is the word of God, he said. And those who do not understand it, Satan comes immediately and takes away, similar, lest they believe and they, are, they be saved. So by what Jesus said from in Gospel of Luke, the word is the gospel of salvation. That means people hearing the gospel for the first time. They don't understand it, Satan takes it away, lest, he says, they believe and be saved. That's how different it is in the explanation of this. This is all the people in the world. Again, four category of people, different reasons or things that they fall away. The hard truth to grasp in, in what Jesus said, even for the believers, first two Gospels, then the Luke's 
for general people, mass of the people, is this fact that three out of four categories will fall away. Only the last one, uh, the good soil, or the, or the category that will produce, you know, even in them, you know, different percentages. By this, I'm not saying that three out of four people will fall away. Rather, three out of four categories of people. The fact is that the fourth category, the percentage of those believers who will fall into that category is very small compared to the people on this planet. I mean, it's insignificant small percentage. So I'm not speaking about three out of four people, but three out of four categories of people, either uh, believers or, you know, general mass. That's a fact. But for believers in Christ, we are being encouraged, you know, to feed on, on the Word, and in here, feed yourself by His faithfulness. If you go by what Jesus said, I mean, that, again, I'm saying that's the fact. There will be four categories of believers. First of all, will not get it. That's how it is. That's what Jesus explained it. They don't understand it. Satan comes immediately, takes that away. The thing is, when you understand it, you don't want to fall into the category of the second one, which any the difficulty or persecution comes around, they fall away, or happen to be in the third ones, when he says the cares of this world and the wanting other things gets in that chokes the word of the kingdom in Gospel of Matthew, the word in Luke, I mean uh, Mark, and the Gospel word in uh, Luke's Gospel. Gospel of the salvation. You see, that's the important part for our believers to understand how the Lord is leading us in this direction as far as how important he, the word, His Word is. So the first step in this instruction that David gives us is trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Abide in Christ, feed on Him. That's, you, know, you can go on uh, by what he said in the Gospel of John, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, all of that is part of what I'm sharing with you in this part. Second point, or the second instruction he gives us is the following verse 4. He says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. How do you do that? How do you delight yourself for the Lord or to the Lord? Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. My understanding of, of this word is simple. Is the Lord the delight of your life? You know, in the beginning, I remember, you know, uh, how excited I was, uh, how energetic I was, fired up for the Lord right from the beginning when I heard the gospel, when I gave my heart to the Lord. But as I've uh, grown older in Him, you know, that initial fire is not there. But the, throughout the whole Bible, you know, uh, especially in the New Testament, we are being encouraged to have the same vigor and energy all the way to the end. Is the Lord uh, Jesus, our Lord Jesus, the delight of your heart? The equivalent understanding of this, I will take you to the second letter of Paul uh, when he wrote to Timothy. Uh, towards the end, the you know, famous paragraph when he says, I fought 
the good fight. I kept the faith. Towards the end, he says, the only thing left for me is the crown of life that the Lord will give me, not only to me, but all those who loved his appearing. I mean, this is something uh, for the believers, that not only uh, the Lord is their delight, the Lord is their first love that they haven't lost it, like the Ephesians did in the book of Revelation, but rather they're waiting for his appearing. They loved his appearing. That's the part uh, that I understand from these verses. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I've always said this, uh, desires are not needs. You know, we have needs, and we also have desires. But here, in the New Testament, uh, Jesus himself said, your heavenly Father knows your needs before you ask him. Those are the needs, but he also knows what you desire in your heart, and it is exactly what this verse says. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I mean, for the, uh, a believer that is fired up for the Lord in the beginning, I mean, this is a wonderful verse to, you know, spot, understand, and, and experience it, you know. There's nothing uh, like it when you experience how faithful the Lord is, according to what he said, which is, this is part of it. But as you grow older again in the Lord, uh, you come out of that childish believer desiring things in life, but you become when your desires become in line with the Lord's desires. What you desire as, as a mature Christian is what the Lord desires. And I would say this, if the Lord was faithfully had an experience to give you the heart, desires of your heart then, now that you're mature and your desires of His desire, how much more He will uh, do accordingly. Amen? That's so uh, delightful to uh, see these verses, experience it, then go all the way to the end. The third part of uh, this instruction, following verse, verse 5, commit your ways to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Commit your ways to the Lord. <clears throat> Again, this is another pictorial uh, word to understand in the Old Testament. Uh, the picture is this. Uh, when the people brought their uh, cargo on their uh, shoulders, they came to a camel, let's say he was kneeling down. What they would do is just uh, roll over their burden from their shoulders onto the camel. This action of rolling over their burden over the camel is what is committing to the Lord is. Commit your ways to the Lord. The equivalent verse that I remember, uh, remembered from the New Testament is what Peter says, Peter 1.5, it's 157. He says, <clears throat> casting all your cares on the Lord because he cares. It's the same picture. Casting all your, oops, I messed up. That's what happens when I get excited. <laughs> now I have nothing to drink. So casting your, all your desires on the Lord because he cares is the same picture as uh, this says. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in Him. It's interesting for me when he says that. You know, when you commit uh, to the Lord with understanding of this picture, when you 
uh, rolled over your burden, um, past that point, just walk around normal. But some people, uh, you know, they give it to the Lord, but they just walk around as though they still have that burden on their shoulder. You see what I'm saying? It has to do with how much you trust the Lord, and if you gave it, that you're going to continue believing that the Lord is going to take care of it. I remember this preacher, uh, this is uh, years ago, I think. I don't even remember his name. He was speaking about some, um, you know, similar understanding of this word trust. He was saying, it's like when you have an important letter to mail, you know, you're kind of anxious for this letter to get to that destination to the certain people. He says the normal thing to do is just put him in the mailbox. The postman takes it all the way, then goes to the destination. But when you worry about, uh, when you give something to the Lord and you worry and you fret about it, it's like you don't trust the postman is going to come and take that uh, mail from the mailbox. You're going to stand at the mailbox, this is his explanation, and just see when he's going to come. And when he comes, he's going to take the letter, you're going to follow him all the way to the post office. And assuming that they let you in the warehouse, you know, you're going to look to see what happens to that letter. You want to make sure that it's going to go to that destination. That's how we act when we give something to the Lord. I mean, we commit our ways to the Lord and we just uh, fret all the way, uh, you know, uh, acting like this. My explanation is if you rolled over your burden to him, just then walk up, you know, uh, walk up, not up, walk, what's the word? Upright, you know, like a normal person, not bend down like you have a load on your shoulders. And that's the picture here, where he says, uh, commit your ways to the Lord, trust also in him because it's important, and he shall bring it to pass. I understand the original Hebrew uh, part of the last verse of verse 5, when here is translated, and he shall bring it to pass, all the Hebrew says, the Lord works. To me, it's more like the Lord begins to work. The Lord works. Here, for some reason, they've translated, um, and he shall bring it to pass. He begins to work in your case, on your case, or on your problem. That's what uh, this uh, third part of this instructions uh, is telling us. Following verses, uh, he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, as the light, and your justice as the noonday. The fourth instruction is the following verse. It says, after you, after you did, uh, after you trust the Lord, after you delighted yourself in the Lord, then committed your ways to the Lord. The fourth part of these instructions, he says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Uh, probably this is the most hardest part of this procedure, you know. Um, if you're in a crisis of some sort, you know, all these steps are difficult. All these steps are, you know, recipe for fretting, uh, have anxiety and whatnot. But he says rest in the Lord. Just notice, before you come to the rest, he already said that the Lord is working on your uh, problem. As he says, the Lord will bring it to pass the correct way. The Lord works 
or the Lord begins to work, He's already doing that even before you come to the rest. But the resting part is uh, also important in, in this full understanding. So these uh, four steps in this procedure uh, is the reason um, you know, we go forward um, and what the Lord is doing uh, in us in this way. I would say what he says in verse 5, he shall bring forth, this is between uh, step 3 and 4, he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Noonday meaning, you know, the sun is the brightest uh, during the day. He will bring your righteousness like the day or like the light. Uh, my question is, what righteousness do we have, uh, you know, in us? There is no righteousness in us. But the fact is, what he's talking about, he's just talking about the believers, the upright, the righteous. To bring the righteousness of Christ out of them. That means uh, to conform, to, to be conformed to the image of Christ is what this verse means. You know, another, I'll, I'll read it again. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. As I said, do we have any righteousness from our own? What is it that is going to come out of us? You know, we don't have it. But rather, all these step-by-step uh, procedures is for to be conformed to the image of uh, the Lord, Jesus himself. Uh, another way of saying from this psalm, these procedures given here from him is the making of the man of God or the woman of God, you know, as a believer in their uh, Christian life. What is it we do? Trust in the Lord, he says. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your ways to the Lord. And then finally rest. Why all this? Because he's working in you to conform you to the image of his son. That's how he brings the righteousness out of you. Whose righteousness, again, is the righteousness of Christ. That means you're being conformed to his image. That's the reason, you know. Uh, otherwise, you know, why you should go through all these uh, uh, steps. But these steps are very important. As I went through this psalm uh, this time around, I noticed the word uh, inherit. I'm going to read the rest of the psalm for you. The word inherit or inheritance in the word inheritance comes once. The word inherit comes uh, five times in the psalm. Uh, when he's talking about the inheritance, you know he's talking about um, um, something that will happen uh, in, in the future, a distant future. Um, for us, in our understanding is, all the promises given for the ages to come, which is the kingdom to come. And that's... Uh, the inheritance that we see in this psalm five times. I'm going to um, read them past uh, verse 4, and I'll, as I explain as I go. Verse 4, it says, uh, verse 7, Rest in the Lord and wait, wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who pro pro prospers in his way because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it, is only, it only causes harm. 
For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Here's the first one that comes in. They shall inherit the earth. Verse 10, For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you, you will look carefully for his place, but he shall be no more. Verse 11, But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The word peace is another one in this psalm. Um, a few lines uh, uh, down the line, verse 18. The Lord knows the days of the upright. You know, these are different pronouns, as I said earlier. It's talking about the believers, upright. And their inheritance shall be for, forever. You couple the inheritance or yeah, inheritance with the uh, word forever, you know what he's talking about. You know, you know he's talking about the kingdom, that past the kingdom will go on to the future in, in eternity. That's how important uh, these procedures were. Making the man of God, I'm just repeating myself for you to remember, you know, being constantly conformed to the image of Christ. But the wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. How often you had that experience, people borrow from you but never repay. But the righteous shows mercy and gives. Not too long ago I spoke of uh, you know, having the compassion towards the needy. This is the character of, of the believers. But the righteous shows mercy and gives. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth. Again the word inherit, earth during the kingdom to come, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. Verse 23 is very important. The steps of a good man, again we're talking about the believer, the upright, the righteous, good man. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Though he fall, shall, uh, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Verse 25 I've been young and I'm old, yet I have not seen uh, righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and lent. He's another one. The reason I'm recognizing this verse, as I said earlier, because I talked about it not too long ago. When you see things in the Word of God, then your eyes are concentrated, not concentrated, recognizes, uh, you know, what you read. Again, his descendants are blessed, uh, he is ever merciful and lends, this is the believer, and his descendants are blessed. 27, depart from evil and do good and dwell forever, forevermore. Verse 28, for the Lord loves just, justice and does, uh, does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. All this word forever, very important uh, as the context of this uh, psalm. But the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Interesting. This earth is not going to last forever. At one point, God is going to just melt this whole thing away. And he's going to make a new earth and a new heaven, as you read in the book of Revelation. But when he talks about inheriting the, uh, the earth forever, he's talking about the new heaven and earth, which is the eternity he's talking about. See how clearly that is portrayed in this psalm. The Lord will not leave him, uh, where was I? Um, verse 29, uh, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. 
The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom and his tongue talks justice. Wisdom, again we talked about the wisdom, five wise virgins and five foolish ones, how important that subject is again. Here, all of these are the virtues of our Lord Jesus. Wisdom of Christ, compassion of Christ, leadership of Christ, everything about Christ. Here is you are being conformed. How you are being conformed, you know, trusting the Lord, delighting in the Lord, committing yours to the Lord, and then you rest. Going through this procedure, he's making you a man of God or a woman of God, at the same time conforming to the image of Christ. Amen? Good. <laughs> I was going to continue, but good is suffice. The mouth of righteous speaks wisdom and his tongue talks of justice. The law of God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Verse 34, wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. Again, he will ex exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. Verse 37, mark the blameless man and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. Hallelujah. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. Verse 39, but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble, and the Lord shall help them and deliver them, and shall deliver them from the wicked and save them, because they trust in him. That's how the psalm ends, because they trust in him. Hallelujah. What a, a psalm, what gives us clear picture of how uh, a believer should go forward, you know, in this way, trusting the Lord, going through the steps and, and becoming a man of God, or as I've been saying, to be conformed to the image of Christ in many, many different directions and the virtues that the Christ himself is. As I said earlier, this uh, psalm was written by David. Um, as I went through the psalms, you know, um, that's the majority of the psalms, as you read, is what uh, David wrote. As I'm listening, there's so much that it talks about patience, waiting, and there's also here, there's so, so many times it says, wait on the Lord. Uh, there's Psalm 41, uh, David says, in waiting I waited for the Lord. It's, it's another word for waiting, but it's more intense way of waiting for the Lord. In waiting I waited for the Lord. That's... Um, interesting in the life of David. Um, I would say, uh, being a psalm of David, he wrote this, uh, it is not his one of earlier psalms, because he says, I've been young, now I'm old, uh, must be towards the, towards the end of his life. Uh, so he's not just preaching here, but he's talking about from his experience. Um, one of the interesting things about his life, and I, every time I read, you know, when Samuel <coughs> anointed him, uh, from God to be king over Israel. He was a teenager, young lad. And then, right after the anointing, I mean, this is 
David, anointed by Samuel. Everybody knew about Samuel, how man of God he was. The entire nation of Israel knew him. And here, David was anointed uh, by Samuel from the Lord to be king over Israel. But then you read, you know, nobody respected him in the, in the beginning. Beginning with his family, his father, his brothers, the way they talked to him, and so on. I was always thinking, if I was David, I would say, do you know who I am? I'm the anointed king of over Israel. You know, you don't treat the king this way. You know, but you don't see in his life, uh, you know, uh, but people kept uh, uh, treating this way all the way. The fact of the matter is, uh, from the day he was anointed to be king all the way to when he became king over Israel, many, many years passed, and along the way, all the hardship that he went through, I mean, it's just one after another, all the difficulties this man has. Uh, we know a great deal uh, about the life of David because it's written. The fact is, there's more written about David in the Bible than any other character. We know him in his uh, mistakes, in his sins, in his ups and his downs. Everything he did, we know about him, and is written, is recorded. And there's a purpose for all this that is recorded in the Bible. But his life began as a shepherd, and he was also a musician. He was playing uh, harp, and he played well. Later on, you know, King Saul, um, somebody told him about David, and they brought him to the palace for David to play harp because some evil spirit was bothering Saul, and every time David played, you know, that evil spirit went away. David was a musician, singer, songwriter. As I said, he wrote many psalms, uh, you know, as you go through the book of psalms, uh, and a worshiper. You know how he wanted to build a temple? All he was thinking towards the end of his life was just building a house for the, uh, for the Lord. But the Lord, uh, through the prophet Nathan, says, well, what you have in your heart is good, but you're not going to build it because you shed many blood. Your son Solomon will build it. But this man, he understood what God said through Nathan, and, but he dedicated his entire uh, uh, later years um, obtaining all the information needed for the temple. He received all the information by revelation from God, from the plans of the temple to every detail of uh, material that it was going to be used and constructed. All of that was a revelation received uh, by God from in David. I mean, David received it from God. And he also gave um, some from his treasury, you know, silver, gold, bronze, and whatnot, you know, for the uh, temple. And when the time came, you know, he handed all this information, all the revelation, all the material to Solomon for Solomon to build uh, the house, which he did. But that's not all. He set up the choir, the worship system of the temple. In different groups, he set up the Levites to sing, when to sing, what song to sing, and this. And all of that was set up by David. That became a standard for all the rest of the uh, worshipers from the decades to come or the centuries to come to follow what David set up. He was a worshiper of the Lord. I mean, being a singer, songwriter, musician, poet, you know, worshiper of the Lord, that's just one side of his life. On the other side, he was a courageous warrior. 
That's why the Lord didn't want him to build a house, because he shed many blood, you know. But he wanted uh, all this, and it was in his heart to do all this, and God accepted from his hand, and uh, thus all the revelations of the um, um, temple that he received, and so on. This is the man after God's own heart. And he, what he writes here in 30, uh, Psalm 37 is the making of the man of God according to God's heart. By this instruction that he gives, I said earlier, he's not preaching, but he's uh, talking about, he's, he's uh, speaking about from his experience, waiting, waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. From the time he was anointed all the way to be king, many years, he knows what, to, what it is to wait on the Lord. And he's talking about that here in every detail. You know, in the Bible, um, how many times the Lord says, do not fear? You remember that, right? All of you know. How many times? 365 times. The rule, the rule of thumb uh, is, if the Lord says something once, and this, this is for me, uh, it must be important for you to pay attention. And this is the whole Bible. Agree? But if he says it more than once and twice, it must be very, very important. And in, in the fact for the do not fear or uh, fear not, I have to say, that must be very, 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 I have to repeat it 365 to make across how important that is. Do you, re do you understand? In this psalm, three times he said, fret not. Uh, to me, it's like a choice he gives you. Fret not. The choice he gave to the, in Deuteronomy. Moses says, choose this day, life or death. Choose me, live, choose uh, others, you know, death is, will follow, or blessings or cursing. You can choose to fret. I mean, it's easy to fret. Worry, uh, anxious, it's visible, just oozing out of your body, how worried you are. I tell you, I was listening to the psalm I came, I was reading actually. Uh, verse 5, it says, I've been old, or rather, I've been young and I've been old. No, no. I've been young, now I'm old. <laughs> what I said was, uh, you know, to myself, oh, tell me about it. What I was actually uh, talking about with myself is when I learned this psalm 40-odd some years ago until compared to now. I've been young and now I'm old. This is what he says. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. I will ask you this question. I don't want you to raise your hand. As parents, how many of you worry for your children? Or you have grandchildren, you worry about them. You know, all of us are in the same boat. There's no, uh, nothing uh, unusual about it. Those of you young folks, if you don't have any children, you haven't been married, you will have one day, you know, your children and so on. Nothing unusual about it. But I'm just showing you from this one verse. He speaks from his experience. He says, I've been young and now I'm old. Yet, 
I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. Your life as a believer is the important part of this verse. And your life as a believer will set the course of your descendants. Do you see this? If you're a man of God or a woman of God that has gone through the process of conforming, you will set the course of your children and their children and your descendants in a right path that the righteous will not be forsaken nor your descendants begging bread. Do you see who is important in this? Who's keeping uh, the faithfulness? It's the Lord. If you're being conformed to the image of Christ, God will always remember your descendants, including your children, your grandchildren, and so on. Amen? That's how it is. Choose. Or you can fret all day long as you like. Have I mastered this in my life? I, I don't say that. You know, there are times that I'm, if I'm away from the Word of God, I do. I worry. Just because I see this, I see that, or I don't see this, I see another thing, I worry. But that does, doesn't uh, take too long, because immediately I remember. You know, if I'm talking about the children, immediately I remember the day we dedicated them to the Lord. I mean, this picture always comes into my mind. I can't worry about them. I cannot fret about them. It's like I have already given my burden to the Lord. When did I do it? I, when we dedicated uh, them to the Lord. I already gave it. I'm not going to act like that man who follows the letter. You know what I'm saying? The letter that he posted. <laughs> I always remember that. When I'm away from the word, yes, if I let myself, uh, I will worry. That's the reason I come back to this psalm from time to time. Reminds me of the procedure, reminds me of what the Lord, how faithful He is. Understanding David's life and all that he did, yet this man is still called the sweet singer of Israel, a man after God's own heart. I mean, look at his life, all the stuff he did. I mean, some of the things he's, he's done is monumental blunders, you know, but yet he became a standard in God's uh, book. In God's, in God, he became a standard. Not standard, that's not the word I have in mind. He became a benchmark for God, for all the kings to follow. You know, the majority were evil. God would say, you did not follow me wholeheartedly as my servant David did. David became a benchmark. That's how he measured the rest of the king. You did not follow me wholeheartedly as my servant David did. And sometimes we think that we are better than David with all the mistakes he did. You know, you compare yourself, oh, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't committed an adultery. You know, I haven't made anybody pregnant by doing uh, adultery and killing the husband. Am I better than him? No. You know, the, uh, 
religious uh, Christians uh, in Catholic background, they have this uh, idea that hell or the lake of fire has um, different levels of purgatory thing. You know, like there's the hot spots in hell or lake of fire, there's the cooler spots somewhere else, you know. There's no such thing. All they're gonna end up the same place, whether a simple sinner, average sinner like me, or you, or somebody like, you know, did everything, breaking every law in the, in the book. They're all gonna end up in the, unless they're born again, you see. That's how great our salvation is, you know. Unless you're born again in Christ, stay in the land, feed on your, his faithfulness, abide in Christ, feed on him. That's our part. Otherwise, you know, they're all end, they're gonna end up in uh, lake of fire. Hitler will be there, you know, same as somebody who lied in his whole life, never accepted Christ. Do, do you understand that part? How important that is? It makes no difference how many laws we have broken. One, once in our, in your in your entire life, you're still a lawbreaker in the eyes of God. See how important your salvation is. Never underestimate this great gift that God has given us. Amen? Choose today. Either you're going to fret your whole life about different things. I just talked about just one area, about our kids and, and uh, our descendants um, or uh, grandchildren. But there's every direction you can go uh, you know, in this way. Choose. You're going to be this way or that way. Amen? I'll see you next Sunday, even though I'm not going to speak, but uh, that's, that's how I say it. Do we have a song or I'm going to pray? Okay. I will pray and end today's message. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. As always, it gives us energy. It gives us um, stamina, Lord, as we come to you uh, you reveal yourself and your word to us and you give us the courage and the energy to go on with you all the way to the end. Father, what a great blessing it is to go through your word. What a comfort it is to see all these promises. One by one, you, uh, one by one, you've given us uh, these comfortable uh, verses. Thinking about them, Lord, meditating upon them, you have, we know that you have blessed us all through your word through your presence among your people, Lord, as faithful as you are, as your word says, once you, it comes out of your mouth, Lord, it, your word forever settles in heaven. We bless you and we thank you as your own people, Lord. I pray and I commit our ways, uh, all of our ways into your hands, Lord, in every direction. We pray and we agree together. Yes, Lord, work in every one of us, Lord, in every area of our life, for us to be conformed to your, uh, the image of your Son, Lord, our Lord Jesus. Work, do your work, Lord. And we agree with every one of them. And we praise you and we say we love you, Lord. In the precious name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see each other next time.